Hi, this is episode 17 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have part one of chapter four of Absolute Zero by Helen Gresswell. Chapter four. It might reasonably have been supposed that the day following the bingo debacle would have been a quiet one, even something of an anticlimax. That had been the kind of day that is difficult to match. Some families never have a day like it in their lives. Mrs. Fosdyke was in two minds whether to take the day off. She felt this would be justifiable in view of the hammering her nervous system had taken the previous night. On the other hand, Mr. Bagthorpe was doing a script about her and trying to get inside her mind. When it came on television, she did not want her mind to appear in a bad light. Some people might call it weak to take days off for nervous reasons. In the end, she decided to go, but not until mid-morning. She was later to regret coming in at all. Things were not too bad to begin with. All the Bagthorpes were much entertained by the account of what had happened at Bingo. Grandma herself was not the least cast down. She enjoyed winning games, but she also enjoyed a good free-for-all, and in this respect had had more than her money's worth. The only person present at breakfast who was not in high spirits was Mr. Bagthorpe, who was still sore about his humiliating encounter with the police. He maintained that, if there was a fine, Grandma should pay it. He further went on to say that if anybody's license got endorsed, it should be hers, and that it was his luck that she should not possess one. "'I carry the can for everybody,' he declared. "'I'm the archetypal can-carrier of all time.' "'It is illegal to go about with an out-of-date license,' Grandma told him piously. "'And at your age you should know that, Henry.' "'I hadn't even noticed,' he replied. "'If it had been five years out of date, I should not have noticed. "'Or five hundred years. "'I have my mind on higher things.' "'You might try explaining that to the police,' said Grandma. "'But it does not sound like a convincing argument to me.' "'and I doubt whether it will to them. "'They, after all, are, are not even your mother.' "'After breakfast the Bagthorpes retired to their rooms for a short period, "'and then one by one made trips into the village to the post-office. "'They needed things like stamps and postal orders "'in connection with the competition entering. "'They bought some magazines, too, "'after having had a quick leaf through "'to make sure they had any competitions worth entering.' Some of these were the same ones Mrs. Fosdyke had fetched for Mr. Pagthorpe the day before. It was around mid-morning that things began to hot up. First of all, Uncle Parker came round to find out how Grandma had got on at Bingo. Grandma was just finishing her account when Mr. Bagthorpe entered the kitchen, having smelled coffee. "'Oh, bad luck, Henry,' Uncle Parker greeted him. "'Would you believe it? Well, that's one thing I've never had, I'm happy to say, an endorsement.' This made Mr. Bagthorpe genuinely feel like murdering Uncle Parker. He clenched and unclenched his hands, and it was nearly a full minute before he trusted himself to speak. "'If there were any justice,' he said, "'and there isn't, you would not have anything like so trivial as an endorsement. You would long ago have been banned from driving for life, and possibly even imprisoned.' Here Grandma was inclined to agree. "'That is perfectly true,' she said. "'At least you, Henry, never ran over a beautiful and innocent cat.' "'Quite,' said Mr. Bagthorpe, letting this inaccurate description of Thomas go. 
Nor was I, I'm happy to say, responsible for encouraging a sheltered old lady to run loose in a bingo hall. He had gone too far. Just one moment, said Grandma frigidly. Is it to myself you are alluding as a sheltered old lady? If so, I take the utmost exception to the expression. I am not sheltered. Nobody who has lived in this house all the years I have could ever be sheltered. And I am not old. Of course not. Uncle Parker saw his chance of winning her back on his side. Age cannot wither you, nor the years condemn, nor custom stale your infinite variety. This complicatedly worded compliment set off a heated argument about mixed sources. Mr. Bagthorpe maintained that half of it was from a poem about the war dead by Binion, and the other half from Antony and Cleopatra. Uncle Parker, realizing he was right, sidestepped by saying that he had been perfectly aware of this. It was an impromptu remark, he said, and without wishing to boast, it was a sign of creative genius to reconcile the seemingly disparate. This inflamed Mr. Bagthorpe still further, and a real three-cornered fight was just getting under way when Mrs. Fosdyke, whom everyone had been ignoring, suddenly let out a wild shriek. The row stopped dead. A lot of shrieking went on in the Bagthorpe house, but to date none of it had come from Mrs. Fosdyke. They all turned. She was standing in the doorway of the pantry, looking pale and distraught. In each hand she held out a tin without a label. "'There's thousands of them!' she shrieked. "'And tops off packets and holes in the sides of things!' Only Mr. Bagthorpe among those present had the faintest idea what she was talking about. He wished himself at the ends of the earth, the salt mines. Mrs. Fosdyke let the tins fall and watched them dully as they rolled away over the tiles. She turned back, picked up two more tins, and let them go the same way. Jack thought it obvious that she had gone mad, like Ophelia, but instead of strewing flowers was rolling tins. They all stood there and watched till the tins finally came to rest. There was a silence. The next words clearly had to be spoken by Mrs. Fosdyke, and they waited patiently. She started off by shaking her head. She shook her head for quite a long time, and then at last spoke, but not really to them, more to herself. Plums and haricots, beans and tomatoes, she intoned. She repeated it as if it were a line of poetry. Plums and haricots, beans and tomatoes. Still no one else spoke. There seemed no answer to this kind of remark. After another pause, she elaborated on her theme. Pineapple and mince, a dozen of cling peaches there was. Which is what, and whatever else? Mrs. Fosdyke really did sound poetic as never before. She sounded like the fool in Lear, rather. She turned back into the pantry and lifted two large packets and held them out. They were sugar-coated puffballs. The tops of both had been torn off. Again she wagged her head. Who? she asked, half to herself. Who would ever? And why? What have I done? What can it mean? She paused after asking these five questions, and seemed to be casting around herself for an answer. 
Aha! Jack heard Uncle Parker exclaim softly. I think I see the light. I should have stopped at home, mourned Mrs. Fosdyke. I nearly never came, not after last night. What was wrong with last night? demanded Grandma instantly. She had not been very interested in the tin rolling and poetry, particularly as it had interrupted a good argument. I enjoyed last night. I've never been in trouble with the police, went on Mrs. Fosdyke. Never. And now this. I can't carry on. Nonsense, Grandma told her briskly. Jack, pick up those tins. Why are you rolling tins, Mrs. Fosdyke? Beans, peaches, tomatoes, plums, all sorts. Somebody, observed Uncle Parker, is going in for competitions. Somebody, Mrs. F., has been removing labels and lids from your pantry to send off with competitions. Not me, said Jack promptly. He surfaced, holding the tins, caught sight of his father's face, and saw the truth written on it. The whole family's going in for competitions, blustered Mr. Bagthorpe. He didn't care who found out about this, so long as Uncle Parker never did. It's you that started it with that wretched Caribbean thing. He had evidently decided that attack would be the best form of defense. Another row would act as a smokescreen. Which brand of cling peaches is it, I wonder, mused Uncle Parker, that could be offering a month in the salt mines? Luckily, my salt's all right, soliloquized Mrs. Fosdyke dismally, off on her own again. And my sugar, and my marmalades, and jams is all right, I suppose, even without labels. It's my tins. You can't see through tins. This was incontestable. As they stood and pondered the matter, Mrs. Bagthorpe came in and pieced the story together, and went into the pantry to inspect the damage. And that's the end of part one of chapter four of Absolute Zero. Don't forget to visit me at my blog, www.kray.org, and say hi. See you next time.